Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and we have a great episode this week with an amazing man of God whom you all likely know, Matt Redman. Matt began his ministry as a worship pastor at a local church, and he has been inviting us to step into deeper worship for many years through his songwriting with songs like The Heart of Worship and 10,000 Reasons. Matt has won multiple Grammys. He's written songs that millions sing in churches across the globe, but his heart is all about glorifying God and leading others into reverent and powerful times of worship. On this week's episode, Matt and I discuss the dynamics of ministry leadership and what is important when it comes to lead pastors and worship pastors working together. Matt shares how worship in the local church has changed over the past two decades, including some warnings every church leader should consider when it comes to worship. He is such a great guy, and I'm sure that you'll enjoy this episode. So won't you please join me in my conversation with Matt Redman. Matt, blessings, my friend. Uh, Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you. Hey, um, I want to take it back to the very beginning. Let us look to how you began, uh, first began leading worship in a local church. And I think it was St. Andrews. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Wow, you've done your research. Yes, yes. Um, Now, how did you begin as a worship leader and what were those initial years like for you? I was in a really cool church because young people were really encouraged to get involved, but also to enter into some kind of leadership um, from an early age. And, And you know, the pastor, the vicar, we call him, he, a guy called Bishop David Pitches, he he was like that. But also my youth leader, a guy called Mike Pilavachi, was like that too. Um, they very much let you run with things and wanted you to get, to get involved. And, and um, so from the age of 13, um, my youth leader was encouraging me to lead worship. I, I, he, he found out I was playing guitar at home and I've been playing some of these worship songs at home. And I had no... I had no ambition at all to lead in church. In fact, I did definitely didn't want to do that. I just wanted to play these songs at home. But after a while of a mixture of begging, coercing, man- manipulating, <laughs> all, 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 all those great discipleship gear, you know, tools, <laughs> uh, he, he got me to lead worship. And I really didn't want to. But when I did it, I loved it. I loved leading. I loved seeing uh, people responding to God through music. And I love that sense of encounter that happens. And actually, um, I knew pretty early on I really want to take this seriously. Um, but like I say, I was in a wonderful environment where you were encouraged to thrive. And what I realized, looking back, man, they they threw me in the deep end so often. And I was so young. I was like 15 leading in this church and then traveling around. And if it went great, then I got the encouragement. If it went badly, they got the blame. Because they, they were like, people would be like, if it went badly, he's not old enough for that. Right, right. If it went good, you know, they're great. So, and it was only when I got to about nineteen twenty, I realized, oh, I'm starting to shoulder the responsibility here. These, they're not taking a hit from me anymore. But it, you know, it was a wonderful environment to grow up on. They really pushed me, they encouraged me, challenged me, discipled me. Um, they would speak into like gifting, you know, a craft stuff, you know, like learning guitar. You could do this better musically but also they would speak a lot into character mm. you know and and just like hey when you did that you lost people and then we 
when we spoke into it, you didn't respond that great. Or, you know, one thing was I remember I used to get quite angry with the people I was leading. You know, if I was 16 and if they weren't worshipping as much as I felt I was, <laughs> I'd start getting angry with them. You know, it's, looking back, it seems really babyish, but it's not a very good shepherding, you know. But <laughs> but but I, I, I remember like them speaking into it. Hey, look, the reason you're the leader because you've got the map. God's given you a gift. God's given you vision for this. If everyone was exactly where you are, there would be no point in having a leader. We wouldn't need one. Mm. But there, so there's going to be a frustration. They told me early on, like, you're going to get frustrated sometimes being the leader because God's given you a few steps ahead of everyone else so that you can lead them there. And that kind of stuff was really helpful. Even things like telling me, teaching me how to change culture over a long period of time. I remember my uh, pastor saying to me, you know, sometimes we overestimate what we can get changed in a few weeks and we underestimate what we can get changed in a few years mm. and he said actually you know sometimes to shepherd people you can't go lightning pace we want to take as many people with us as we can we want to make church feel like home so they're not just showing up and everything's changing every week and so there was some real good pastoral guidance they gave me as to how to care for people how to lead people in a in not just a a strong way, but in a kind way too. That's so good, Matt. And you, you were obviously blessed with some great leaders in your life early on. I mean, because just, yes. just what you're sharing with us, I mean, that is solid wisdom that all of yeah. us as ministers need to be reminded of. Um, yeah. So you were, you were in just a great place with some great leadership. Um, yes. And I wish right? I'd listened more. <laughs> we all do, right? I was just, you know, I wouldn't say I was cocky, but I was a teenager. You know? Right. So, I mean, even stuff like my, my uh, vicar used to say to me, hey, I want you to re read this old hymn book. I want you to get into the old hymns. And I'd be like doing lip service going, OK, yeah, pastor. But in my heart, I was thinking, oh, you're just old. You know, <laughs> like, what? What? you know, you don't understand young people. And of course, the older I got, I realized, man, he was giving me treasure. Oh, and yeah. I was like, I was, you know, I realized why he was getting me into that for the depth and the sense of heritage and standing on the shoulders of those who came before. And and the other thing was, I was in an environment where we had a lot going on. We had conferences at our church. We had these clergy retreats. We had um, these, what we called face sharing trips. We went out to other churches. And then this youth movement was growing up called Soul Survivor. So when I first started out full time there, I was leading worship like 15 times a week. And mm -hmm. That was an, I mean, I wouldn't want to do that now. I've got five kids, <laughs> but what an amazing opportunity to learn you know, a vocabulary of songs, to sharpen myself musically, to learn how songs flow together, to have to, you know, I didn't have time to prepare all those. So some of those had to be, you know, on the cuff, off the cuff, just like spontaneous. Here we go. I don't know where we're going, but we'll get there. And, and actually, so I'm so grateful for those days, you know, that, I don't know if I put in 10,000 hours. You know, they talk a lot about 10,000 hours being a good number to get good at something, right? But right. I, don't, I don't know if it was that many, but I'm so grateful for that season. It says in Lamentations, I think, um, it's good for a man to bear the yoke while he's young. Mm. And I get that. There's a season where you're young, free, and single. You've got nothing but free time, uh, you know, and you, you can really give um, and really shoulder some uh, workload in, in the church and learning your ministry and stuff. I'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, leading worship in the local church. And in your situation, like you said, was a bit unique because your church had a lot of different 
events and conferences and worship gatherings happening aside from just, you know, weekend worship. But can you talk to us a little bit about um, kind of focusing in on weekend worship gatherings? Firstly, there was a good amount of relationship there, and I think that counts for a lot. And I always find the toughest thing for some worship leaders is there isn't really a great line of communication with the lead pastor. might be on a slightly different page, or it might be there's just no relationship there. But, you know, that that's really tough. That can be frustrating. It can be you can feel a little bit alone in it. I was in a very blessed situation where I had encouragement, had feedback and, you know, challenge as well as encouragement. But ultimately, I knew I was loved. I knew they wanted the best for me. And, you know, I think that counts for so much. And so that would mean actually we conversed a lot around planning stuff but i had a tremendous amount of freedom in that as well so they were they were i think i was involved in the planning in a way that they could help shape me and you know, help me do it well but they did it wasn't like a control thing mm. sometimes you can be in a situation where you're super involved but really because it, this is a control issue but it definitely wasn't that and and then we were after services we would also have a lot of uh chance to feedback and like kind of look through it all and debrief after a while we used to even do that sunday night after just go and hang out and talk through it but what i didn't like about that was if it hadn't gone very well i wouldn't want to go to bed depressed on a sunday night <laughs> you know i so i said you know what can we not have these times on a sunday night because uh let's just go and hang and not talk about it because sometimes we get into all the minutiae and we and then sometimes it would be like, well, it didn't go, go very well. And, you know, I wouldn't like to review it straight after. I needed like 24 hours. Maybe we do it on the Monday or something. But it was helpful to have the feedback and, you know, learn early on. Like if you have a humble heart, you can receive that not as a personal criticism, but as constructive advice. And people, especially musicians, we get so sensitive and so... I mean, leading worship is a pretty sensitive thing to do in a lot of ways. You're putting yourself out there. There's a, people's emotions and spirits involved. And it's a kind of a, I don't know, you're opening yourself up. You're opening your heart up. So you can get easily hurt if you don't have a good approach to constructive criticism. You can, um, uh, I mean, and that's the worst. <laughs> that's the worst kind of people to work with, right? Right. So we would have a very frank open conversations around the whole thing and sometimes and also what was cause cool i was given chance to disagree i wasn't being rebellious but if i didn't disagree i was in an environment where that it's okay to feedback that as well and i knew they were in ultimate authority so if they told me something and i didn't disagree but they say well sorry i'm still have that stance i don't like that song or don't want this person on the team or that thing then i knew ultimately i was under authority but i kind of liked it that they were secure enough to let me give some pushback. That's good. And I think there's a lot to be learned from that. A couple of things you said, I, I think um, as you're talking about just then that um, they gave you kind of that freedom to disagree and to voice your opinion. And also that they gave you the freedom as, as you're preparing, as you're planning, they weren't micromanaging you. And I yeah. think that all goes back to trust. You know, you, you, yes. you had developed a sense of trust Yes. Um, with with your you know the vicar the lead pastors you know the lead ministers so um, they trusted you you trusted them you knew that yeah. they had your best interest in mind and they were trying to help you become 
not only a better worship leader, but a more devoted Christ follower. And so that sense of trust, I think, is so very important when we're looking at our local churches and the relationships and the dynamics among our staff pastors and leaders, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, and I kind of like that they – I had this sense that, you know, with my vicar, he – he knew that I was in that role and I was thinking about worship and worship music more than anyone else. And I was spending more time preparing than else. I was reading about it. So he, like I say, it wasn't a control thing. He was, he wanted my leadership. He wanted my input. And I think it's an interesting thing because some of the worst leadership things are you don't let people flourish. Mm. You don't give people enough wiggle room and authority and everything within, within their area of expertise. Because you want to keep a little lid, and you want to be the expert on everything, it can be like that. And even a worship team, you know, I have to learn to realize, okay, this guy's way better musician than me, so I need to lean into his wisdom, his judgment calls, and some chord things or arrangement things. I need to give him freedom to express the leadership and the expertise God's put in him. If I, it'd be very easy for me, it's my band, and we're singing mostly my songs. I'm the lead singer. It'd be very easy for me to think I'm going to make all the calls and all the judgment and steer everything. But I, I know I'd be losing out if I did that. Yeah. And, and that I think that also speaks to, um, you know, in your example, you personally, but then also the ministry leaders who, who were around you as, as you were leading worship um, as a young man, as you were growing up, um, the idea of, you know, security. And I think um, as opposed to being insecure, right? And I think we, yeah. we in, in the church – um, you know, I've been in ministry 20 plus years and, and get to travel the country and talk to lots of pastors. And, and one of the things that, that I have seen, and you might be able to speak into this a bit, is that the times that you see those dynamics stressed or strained between, you know, pastors on staff together, ministry leaders on staff together, almost always can be traced back to someone feels insecure themselves, and so they, yeah. they, you know, so they try to control something or they, they try to keep their hands on things. And, and because it's almost, you know, that, that issue of insecurity. Talk to us a little bit about how as a, as a teenager initially and as a young man and growing up in the church, how did you approach that idea of being secure in what God was calling you to do? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, honestly, I had it so good in terms of i had a you know there's like a scripture somewhere about you know you you've had many teachers but not many fathers uh, and i always read that i think man that wasn't the case for me i had a lot of people speaking in and, and affirming the call of god on my life i always tell worship leaders if god's affirming this call on your life there'll be other people telling you it won't just be you mm-hmm. patting yourself on the back saying i'm called to this and your mum doesn't count too <laughs> you know, it can't just be you and your mum saying you're going to do it. It has to be other people. And I was very blessed to have that. So I don't think I struggled with a lot of insecurity. Um, I felt like so many people who I looked up to were affirming me in that call. That was good. But your point is very interesting about, you know, the little insecurities. And they can get magnified, can't they, under pressure and... And then if the lines of relationship and communication aren't open, they can just fester. Right. You know, the worship leader doesn't really know what the pastor thinks about him, doesn't really know if he thinks he's doing a good job or because there's no feedback or there's no relating. And actually, you know, even in church these days, you know, it's gone so much from organism to organization 
that you've got in an organization, you've got to fight for relationship. You've got to work extra hard to keep some of that stuff that was organic uh, originally. You've got to, to keep it open and keep it working. And I think that's super important. I mean, I mean, as a little aside, something I've noticed a lot in a, in a lot of churches, you know, I've been around a lot of churches, all different types. I would say one of the key ingredients that's missing in some leadership teams and backstage and some worship teams is, is just kindness, mm. simple kindness. We were all very efficiency driven, productivity driven, get the job done, check all the boxes. And a lot of that stuff's great. It's great to work hard. It's great to be organized. It's, it's great to be driven if it's, you know, with the right heart and that. But, but I sometimes look around, I think there's no kindness here. Mm. You know, there's a paycheck going out and there's this and that but there's no it just lacks the kindness of jesus and i'm not doing a big judge thing you know i want to learn myself in that area too but sometimes i think this feels harsh it feels this isn't a good environment for creativity this isn't a good environment for discipleship there's no kindness that's that's a great observation and and when kindness is removed everything becomes a bit mechanical yeah and i think you know I always think as church and as team in the church, we've got to celebrate our distinctives and our distinctives should be peaceful hearts, joyful hearts, a flow of kindness, all the fruit of the spirit. Right. 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 You know, we, we got to be, we should be being gracious and patient. And when I see the fruit of the spirit missing, alarm bells go off. Yeah. As you're saying that, it kind of takes me back to my early years in ministry. I began uh, my ministry as a youth pastor and right whenever I was beginning my ministry it was around the time that you released the heart of worship. And kind of oh, as wow. you were as you were talking about this kindness missing, it just took me back to uh, the heart of worship and how uh, you know that that song was instrumental in my journey. You know the journey of of the teens God had entrusted to me, my family as a whole, our church as a whole, and, and you know, and it, it really is that coming back to that um, you know that organic understanding yeah. that, you know, we can go through all these motions and we can organize, like you were saying, you know, and put all the pieces together and get get very yeah. efficient and very productive. Yeah. But, you know, if we're missing out on, on the actual heart of it all and, and who it is we're glorifying, then we're missing something very, very, you know, the key to it all. Yeah, some is, of the main and plain stuff. Right, exactly. That, that has to be in the mix. The, and it, actually, you know, even for young worship leaders starting out these days, you know, it can you can be very driven. It can be a career. Right. It can be when I when I started doing this, I didn't even think being a worship leader was a job, <laughs> unless you played the organ. You know. Right. 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 So, so I can see how so much has changed, and there's a lot of great stuff in there. But there are those little blind spots. Mm. You know that we have to watch out for. Right. That's good. Let's talk a little bit more about that. How have you seen worship in the local church change over the last you know couple decades? I mean, some of the production stuff's amazing these days. Some of it's just so high level. I think the pluses of that is very welcoming to someone who's unchurched, feels relevant, feels creative, and there's a sense of excellence, which is never a bad thing when it comes to bringing our best to God. I think the downside of that would be that if we lent on that too heavily and thought that that was what made it mm. special or that's what made what we had powerful, um, you know, I think of Moses saying, God, don't send us without your presence because, you know, that what else will distinguish us. Right. And I, again, it's back to that thing of celebrating our distinctives. So for me, 
one of the distinctives of worship that makes it different from other forms of music gathered together in a room is the presence of God. I always talk about the people of God and the presence of God pouring out the praise of God. There's a sense of encounter. We're not just singing to the ceiling. Our songs are getting heard. And not only that, when you draw near to God, he draws near to you. So there's this beautiful dynamic that happens when the people of God worship together through music that I don't think is matched anywhere else on the face of the earth. You know, lots of places manage to fill a room with awesome music. So that's not our distinctive. We're just one in a crowd if we do that. Our distinctive is we're going to go and meet God together. Mm. And we're going to see that he's not a dead God. He's not a deaf God. He's not a, a mute God. He's not an inactive God. He's the living, you know, breathing spirit of God, you know, who will work amongst us and move amongst us. And that's one of the things that I think we've got so great on the production stuff, but we must make sure that we're also going strong over not leaning too heavily into that and leaning on that distinctive of, of we're going to meet with God together. Another thing I would say the musicality is exciting. There's different expressions, uh, the level of recordings and stuff and playing in churches is so high. But at the same time, when you look at the actual depth of the lyrics, Mm. have we gone backwards you know i think a lot of pastors might say we have a lot might say hey it's really cool these songs are sounding cool and relevant and creative but then the content in them is a little flimsy it's not really painting a high view of god it's not really giving us a big picture of who he is especially if you were to compare them with some of the hymns of the past or or more importantly if you were to open your bible and think is this is actually the same person you know we're singing about and and obviously one of the key things that we've got to fight for is reverence because in our culture everything else is going towards irreverence and you know dumbing god down and you know shrinking him down and but when it comes to worship that can't happen we have to be in awe we have to have wonder and mystery and reverence in the mix again because otherwise we're losing out because if you have a small flimsy god who's domesticated ordinary and normal what good's that going to be you know, when right. you face one of life's big challenges or you find yourself in the middle of a crazy storm you can't control and it's confusing you. And, you know, you want a big God in those moments. You want a God who's holy, 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 almighty, the one who you know, spoke the stars into being, the one who's the creator of everything and the sustainer of everything and holding everything together. That's who you want to be worshipping in a time like that. So I think some great progress in some areas, probably some little warning signs in, in some of the others. Right. No, that, that's good and that's helpful. Uh, whenever you're talking about production and presence, you know, th- those are two words that you kind of tossed out there. Obviously, you know, you're saying we have to be careful that our production doesn't become more important than ushering in the presence of God and glorifying God. Can we talk a little bit, would you talk with us a little bit about this idea of spontaneous worship and yeah. how you've been able to kind of cultivate that in the congregations you've led? Yes. What I love about spontaneity is it tells us we're in a conversation with a living, active God. Mm. You know, I think there's a great place for liturgy and for planning, preparedness and things being in order in worship. You know, the Bible talks about that. But there's another side of it to go alongside all that, that kind of spontaneity, the outburst of the soul, the reflex you know, as you see the living God that, you know, and I love to 
teach congregations not just to sing the set songs, but to find their own songs sometimes. That can be a beautiful thing. You know, in the Bible, sing and make music in your heart to God. And like I say, the really cool thing about it to me is it speaks of life. It speaks like we're not just worshipping a God we heard about thousands of years ago and what he did back then was cool. We're worshipping the living God. And when we have spontaneity in our worship, to me, it, it speaks loud and clear of that. Amen. What suggestions might you give to pastors and worship leaders as they are, you know, preparing and planning for their weekend worship gatherings? Yeah. You know, and kind of keeping in mind this idea of making space for spontaneous worship or or what does that really look like? And and, and how could you help them think through that, I guess? I mean, first thing to say, I'm a bit of a cheat on this because I do a lot of traveling around events and I haven't been a worship pastor paid on a staff for a while and that's the hardest job when you're leading week in week out you got to bring a freshness right you got to bring something new and shepherd people over a long period of time that's the hardest thing it's pretty easy to show up in a town and they know some of the songs and there's some expectation in the room but yeah I think what I'd say about the spontaneous thing number one you've got to all be on board including the pastor uh, and the leadership, you know, otherwise you're just going to frustrate them when you're kind of trying to move in towards that. They kind of got to get that and approve that and mm. want that too. And then when you do it, just usher it in gently. You know, people told me once, it was my youth leader, if you want to boil a frog, you uh, you don't just throw it in a pan of boiling water. You put it in some cold water and you heat it up slowly. Right, right. Apparently the frog will stay in there. I always think, why can't you put the lid on? But that's not not relevant to this. uh, I guess that's like locking the doors of the church, maybe. But, um, you know, but it's like if you want change, sometimes you've got to just do it slowly and surely and and shepherd people kindly. And and so just bringing in a little bit, encourage people to sing out for a moment or say, you know, sometimes these songs give us voice to say what we want to say. But there's other times where they're not quite expressing everything we want to express to God in a moment. So why don't you take a moment now with a whisper or a shout or a new song or a posture even and and just get real with God right now and sing out what you see or or just bring, you know, uh, let your reply to his revelation just come in a new way. And I don't know, you just give people a minute and then Mm. maybe next time it's two minutes. That stuff can can be lovely. I mean, does it work everywhere? But it's kind of a beautiful thing when it happens. Right, right. No, that's good. Thank you for that. Another thing that you'd mentioned was kind of depth of lyrics and, and making sure that we are, you know, glorifying God in, in the sense of reverence and the sense of awe. And yeah. that, that's one of the things I've appreciated um, about your songwriting over the years. And as in, in our congregations, we've we've um, shared those songs and celebrated those songs. It always seems to kind of usher us into that place. And uh, so, so I definitely appreciate that. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you, you just had a project that released last year, Glory Song. Can you tell us a little bit about that project and how that has, you know, what were you most passionate about as you went into that? And what was God doing kind of in your own life as that came about? Well, um, several things. Uh, in the Psalms, it says, make his praise glorious. And I love that because we make his praise joyful. And we make it a lot of other things, but it's important that it's glorious, that it's full of glory. And I love the title Glory Song. We try to make a record. Obviously, there's lots of themes on there. 
but one of the recurring things is that reverential thing and you know at one point on the record i sing out uh, a prayer like did we lose the awe of god where's all the reverence gone god restore the glory song and it's just that thing of like sometimes you see a, a picture of an open heaven and the things that they're singing in there sometimes seems a, little, a lot weightier and more reverential than what we sometimes get around to singing now for me the beautiful thing is is when you paint a picture of the holiness of god his magnificence and grandeur and, and then onto that you project the cross and the friendship of god and the father heart of god then you've got this wonderful explosion going on in your soul you know how can it be that one so high and holy would welcome someone like me in so you know that that's the kind of a approach i like to take and so on this record there's quite a few songs pointing in that direction another thing though that was really important to me this time around i noticed I had a lot of worship leader friends in more kind of African-American uh, majority churches or that more kind of gospel music expression. And it felt like there's a lot of friendship here, but we don't actually partner together a lot. And I would say, actually, if you look at the American church, there's sometimes between some of those different streams, uh, our different streams, there's, there's not a lot of enmity there, but there's not a lot of effort either. Mm. You know, like really making a concerted effort to... Right join hands and minister together and do life together and work together. So on this one, I decided in the songwriting, I'm going to do that with some friends, uh, Tasha Cobbs, Leonard, mm-hmm. uh, Aaron Lindsay who's like a gospel music legend, amazing, amazing musician and songwriter. Um, and then in the singing, like Kiara Sheard came in and gospel choir, just in the whole thing, I felt like I've got a real heart to do this. And number one, relationally i think it would be wonderful number two could be a lovely expression of unity number three i think it would be richer musically because of it and then number four even kind of sociologically or politically i mean look at america right now right the theme of of racism and division and disunity is really not very far from the surface all it takes is you know one or two things in the news and it's right there again right and i think in the church you know, I'm just a little Brit, so uh, what do I know? But I reckon we could do a better job of just showing an example of what things could look like and just making, like I say, a little bit more of an effort to understand different people's point of view, show some love, right, and, and join together more. And so that was the heart behind the record, and I'm really pleased with how it came out. Yeah, uh, so am I. By the way, um, okay. uh, yeah, um, and I, I can, I can see and sense that you're, you know, you're being intentional in that, and it was a beautiful thing. And so you had a pretty cool experience, you and the gospel choir at Capitol Records in L.A. Yeah, you want to tell us about that? Yes, yeah, so we recorded most of the record there, and then when we were talking about acoustic videos, right? I think we pretty much the label would, you know, we run out of money. <laughs> but I just mentioned it in this conversation of like, hey you know where it'd be awesome to, you know, I gave him a few scenarios we could do videos, but one of them was like, you know, we probably couldn't do this right, but it would be awesome, wouldn't it? Sun's going down, Capitol rooftop, we ever recorded the record, we do it upstairs there in the open air. And it was actually the most beautiful night. Um, they made it happen and we had a wonderful team up there, gospel choir, a couple of musicians looking over LA as the sun went down, just singing God's praise and praying for that city and it was actually a very, very special little moment. So you can see those on YouTube, the song called One Day, um, When We All Get to Heaven, a uh, song called Gracefully Broken, a song called Your Ways, which, by the way, the first 
opening few seconds uh, is the American flag on the top of the Capitol building, and uh, which I thought looked beautiful. But I've taken a lot of stick for that. Nah. Yeah, <laughs> but some people yeah. thought that was a bit too political or something. I don't know. And then um, uh, one other song as well. And you can figure out what that is because I can't remember. Excellent. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. You can go oh, dig around. Yes, hallelujah. What was it? Hallelujah. It's called Greatest Hallelujah. Yes. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, yeah. I encourage our listeners to go um, go on YouTube and check them out because it, pr- it was pretty incredible. I, I mean – I didn't get to be there. You didn't invite me, but that's okay. Um, maybe next time. But um, but I just watching. I was like, man, how how awesome to be singing. Especially, I mean, I mean, there are lots of. I mean, we need to be singing over, you know, and praising God and worshiping God over all of our cities. But L.A. is just one of those places in the world that yeah. just to be standing on top of the Capitol Records building and 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 just praising God over the city, just phenomenal. So um, and the funniest thing was. We had people's drones coming up to have a look at what we were doing. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's crazy. You'd be singing and a little drone would pop up. That's awesome. Not sure how legal that was. <laughs> right, exactly. Very yeah. cool, very cool. Now, awesome. Yeah, I want to encourage you. I want to check out Glory Song. Unbelievable. If you haven't listened, check it out and again on YouTube. But now you have, Matt, you have something releasing with Passion coming up, correct? Yeah. Passion got a new record coming out mid-February called Whole Heart. And it, um, I'm doing a version of the song Great Are You Lord on there, which was a lovely moment at the Passion Gathering. Tens of thousands of college students together. It's always wonderful. Right. There's a ton of new Passion songs on there too. Crowders on there. Torrum Wells. Yeah, it's going to be good. Excellent, excellent. So uh, you definitely want to check that out as well as it releases. Matt, it's been so good to have you with us, and, and really, oh, yeah. thank you so much for your heart and your spirit, and, and just speaking to the lives of pastors and ministry leaders. And and uh, if listeners want to connect um, with you, uh, with your music, those types of things, there are some specific places where they could go. Yeah, um, mattredmond.com. There's quite a lot of teaching resources on there for worship, and a few free excerpts from some of the books I've written, some music and videos too. On Twitter, I'm Matt underscore Redmond. On Instagram, Matt Redmond Music. Excellent. Yeah, and thanks for bringing that up because I know, uh, aside from being an incredible songwriter and worship leader, worship is uh, one of those things that you've really, really dug into. Not just standing in front of a congregation and leading them, but study um, and in writing. And you've you've well, you've created some great resources, some great books um, oh, on worship. And so, yeah, I really want to encourage our listeners to to check that out. They're as all well. very, very small. <laughs> Most of my books are about the size of one of John Eldridge's chapters or something. <laughs> well, there you go. It's perfect. It's That's perfect. I run out of things to say. Oh, very well, brother. But well, it is a thing, right? Yeah. When you're a songwriter, you're trying to say things in the most concise way possible. That's true. But when you write a book, that's not a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Excellent, brother. Well, I, again, I just want to thank you for being with us here on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for making the time, and thank you for your ministry and uh, how it's impacted um, our ministries as pastors around the world, brother. Oh, thanks, man. enjoyed it a lot. It's great speaking with you. Yes. God bless you. God bless. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. 
Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FavePlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android. And so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day, encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.